hey folks, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to another episode of The Shrink and the Pundit, where I, Jeff, the Daily Evolver Pundit, talk with my dear old pal, Dr. Keith Witt, integral psychotherapist extraordinaire, about all things integral. So hey, Keith, welcome back. Uh, good to see you, as always, my bro, Jeff. Yes, indeed. So usually, Keith, we talk about some psychological issue. We've talked about anger. We've talked about shame, intimacy, all that sort of thing. Sometimes it's culture and politics. But we've never really dealt with the subject that we're going to deal with today, strangely enough. And that is the realm of the physical. Yeah. And I have to say that at our age, it's about time. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 70, it's start approaching 70. Better get, better get interested in the physical yeah. or you're not, not going to have much physical left pretty soon. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So even like using integral theory in, in Ken Wilber's aqua model, we talk about having three bodies. We have this cognitive map of having a physical body or the gross body, as Ken says, the subtle body, which is the body of energetics sort of that liquid space that we all feel that we're in. And then the causal body, which is a spiritual body that is effervescent into emptiness at its boundary. Even looking at them that way, differentiating them in that way, helps us to, you know, like I said, explore. So you came to me with the idea of doing this because you have been lit up by actually a self-help book. And as you put it, after, you know, a lifetime of reading and writing self-help books that anything should ever capture your attention again is a miracle. And this book did. And so I read it. I agree with you. I think it's terrific. And so maybe we'll start there with the book that it's, it's out there. It's getting a lot of attention. It's called Breathe, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor. Yeah. And so uh, why don't you start there with what captured you and what you're learning? So this book came to me, as, mo as many books come to me, from Becky. You know, my wife is highly intuitive, and over the last 50 years, she'll come home with a book, and I go, oh, okay. And then I'll read the first page or two, and I'll be captured, and then my life has changed. So I, I started reading Breath, James Nestor's book. Um. And uh, the first, my first reaction to it was, once again, um, and this is a problem I think a lot of us in Integral have. You know, Integral, Integral has a lot to say, has something to say about everything. You know, a meta theory has something to say about everything. And it kind of gives us the illusion that we know everything. The danger in Integral is that we, we will contextualize. Integral allows us to contextualize anything. We can contextualize in a way to not receive influence from someplace else, which is a big problem. Or we can contextualize in a way where we can more easily receive influence. And so the first thing I noticed is I thought, Keith, you thought that you were an expert about breath. You know, just because you started studying breath um, with martial arts and when you're 15 and did all these meditations and yogas and, you know, Taoism and, you know, all, you know, my own journey, we all have journeys and all of them involve breath. And so you get arrogant. I thought I've been arrogant because as I read this book and I, I went into those sources that go back 5,000 years and go to a lot of people that have discovered stuff about breath, um, modern stuff. I thought I, ha I really have a beginner's mind. They're, the wisdom traditions go back 5,000 years. The, the original um, Upanishads um, and the yoga parts of them didn't have asanas. They just had breath. Um, so I was reading this Nestor book. That was all real interesting. But then there were things about it that were, were um, enormously um, provocative practically. Um, what's the optimal walking around the world breath to have? 5.5 okay. seconds in breath, 5.5 seconds out breath. There you go. <laughs> That's the <laughs> optimal walking around the world. Then what's the optimal practice for entering flow states? Okay. I don't remember that one. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it's not a test. <laughs> what, what's the optimal practice for I'm distressed 
um, I'm, I'm getting hyper or hypo aroused, what's the optimal practice to bring me into um, a window of tolerance? Um, what's, what's that optimal practice? That's the box breath or four seconds in, hold four seconds, four seconds out, uh, hold four seconds, four seconds in, hold, you know, so that. Yeah, yeah, now you've been doing that. How does it feel? You, obviously, you've been practicing this, right? How do you feel have. doing that? Uh-huh. Um, well, it's remarkable, actually. Bottom line, Keith, with all of what I've learned about this book, Breath, is that I realize how I, and I think so many people, walk around with shallow chest breathing. And, and I think it's in many ways a function of modern society, of so much fractured attention uh, versus living in the indigenous wild where you're, you're just naturally more in the groove of unfolding nature and world. And that's you know how we lived 99% of our human history. That's how we evolved in that. And so there's, um, there's an anxiety that is created around that shallow chest breath. Nestor talks a lot about it. And uh, it, it, it just, it does, it contracts the subtle body, which then contracts the physical body in a way that, you know, raises your blood pressure, uh, you know, causes yeah. and, uh, and no end of bi- the body dysfunctions that fortunately I don't have, but a lot of people do. I mean, anxiety is the malady of our time. Yes. And that and depression. Yeah. And, you know, culture will give us bad habits. Well, in our culture, everybody's wanting to hold their stomach in. Okay. Well, as it turns out, if you hold your stomach in, you restrict your breathing. So almost, so you're talking about optimal breath. Start out with in and out gently through your nose, all the way down to your stomach, which rounds outward with the inhalation and contracts slightly with the exhalation. Just that changes everything. Yeah. Slow yeah. and soft in to the, to the belly, yeah. slow and soft out. Um, so the walking around breath, four or five seconds in, slow and soft, four or five seconds out, slow and soft. And you want it to be circular. So it's not like a stop, start. It's like in, go around the corner, out, around the corner, in, around the corner. Four or five seconds. Yeah, I could feel it already. That's your walking around breath. Um, now that was that was developed by this guy named Konstantin Buteyko. This guy Buteyko was was a, one of those Russian geniuses, and and maybe that he did this because he was a genius. He decided, um, you know, he was sick at twenty nine. He was dying of uh, of hypertension, and they didn't have drugs in those days. So he looked at himself in the mirror once in a hospital room, and he had this haggard 29-year-old face. He was just bummed out. And for just a moment, he thought, well, I can't breathe very well. He said, maybe I should just try to breathe less. He started breathing slowly, and his headache went away, and he stopped having his symptoms. And uh, he got 2,000 people and did a bunch of studies. And he found that if he could teach people how to breathe in and out slowly and softly, he can reverse the effects of asthma, hypertension, and a number of other illnesses. And part of this was the relaxation, but part of it was people overbreathe. We tend to keep ourselves too saturated with oxygen. And so optimal breathing is breathing slow and soft to the point where you feel like you need a little bit more breath. And if you practice that, you learn how to, to tolerate more carbon dioxide in your bloodstream, which paradoxically makes your body more efficient and gives you advantages. So athletes have been all over this for a while. The, the, the increasing carbon dioxide by keeping your breath low enough so that you want breath a little bit, but you're still breathing slowly and deeply, that was, that was a, an eye-opener for me. Me too. I, me too. I, I mean, I just that. assumed that oxygen good, carbon dioxide bad. Right. And that's exactly wrong. Exactly. You know, it's exactly and it, wrong. <laughs> yeah. And that's the cool thing about this book. It's like, he, I think the subhead, what's the subhead is, 
the new science of a lost art. Yeah, the new so, science of a lost art. Yeah, and so he's going to back with all of these, you know, pranayama and kriya and tumo breathing practices and yeah. the, of you know these traditions, and then working with uh, modern pulmonary scientists. And and it turns out that there's this whole sort of lineage of kooky breathing experts over the last couple hundred years that have done this remarkable stuff, but it just wasn't, you know, never got traction because it's so kooky, you know, and now athletes are all over it, as you say, and there's a lot of science behind it. And, and I love that he really focuses on that. It helps me as a modern person to believe this. Yes, yes. You know, and which you know, then helps me to experience it. You know, the Tumo, uh, the fire breath, where the you know Tibet monks would have to go out in the, in the ice, and they'd cover them with wet sheets. They'd have to dry out three sets of sheets, yeah, generating heat. Yes, um, those kinds of things are super cool. You know, the magic yeah. tricks are always super cool, but it lets you know how powerful the breath is. Yeah, um, and so I'm going to go back to entering flow state breath. Okay, what's that? Um, yes, please. Okay. So I learned this from a retired Navy SEAL named um, Mark Devine, who's written a bunch of books. And I was listening to a, 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 a podcast with him, and he's also a fan of Ken. And he developed a training program where he adapts Navy SEAL techniques over 50 hours, prepares people, and then does it. And he claims it creates vertical um, development. Really? Yeah, I haven't seen his studies. I uh -huh. haven't seen, I don't know what measure he does. But so far, I only know of two other programs that have, have data that show vertical development. One is the SHE program in, in Sao Paulo, the Brazilian people I work with. And the other one is um, the, the uh, TM study that Alan Langer and Christopher Alexander did many years ago that Ken quotes all the time. And what he said, so, so, so teaching Navy SEALs how to do stuff is very appealing, one. The warrior nature in all of us loves Navy SEALs. But also, you know that Navy SEALs aren't going to do stuff that's bogus. Because yeah. It's, yeah. It, has, it has to deliver or, you know, fuck you, yes. right? Well, that's also true of athletes. That's I mean, true. the tenth of a second makes the difference. And you can't fake that or say that I, I experienced that or felt that. It is what it is. Yes. Same with these SEALs. I love it. Yeah, you know, there's a guy in town, uh, or orthopedic surgeon named Ryu, who operated on the Lakers 20 years ago. Okay, anybody who gets needs surgery on their knee, they go to him. Why? If James Worthy is going to trust his knee to you, I'm going to trust my knee. So anyway, he said, how do, I, how do you stay focused? And he didn't say this, but this is also um, an entryway into flow states. We want to spend time in flow states, and there's different kinds of flow states. Um, there's one kind of flow state where we're doing something that's not too easy and not too hard and it's absorbing and time disappears and we disappear. That's one kind of flow state. There's another kind of flow state where we're learning a skill, which is called deep practice, where we literally enter a flow state where we push to where we make a mistake, get a correction from outside or from inside and push to a mistake again. That could be a flow state. Hmm. And then there's flow states, and those things we, we, we direct ourselves into. Then there's flow states that pull us into them, like sex. You know, I don't have to direct myself into sex, particularly. I start doing sex, and after a while, sex takes me over, mm -hmm. and I'm in a flow state. Right. How do we, how do we uh, direct ourselves? How do we bridge that gap into flow states? Going to sleep is creating a flow state. So he suggests four things, four steps. And I, I, I mentioned them to you last week. And here they are. The first one, of course, is the breath. In four to five and a half seconds, slowly and softly through the nostrils, out four to five seconds, slowly and softly. So just doing that activates you. Okay? The second one is a resolved spirit. What am I doing right now? I'm explaining this exercise. I'm resolved to do it. Hmm. The third step is a global sense of what you're trying to accomplish. I want to describe this exercise to you and to others so that they can use it to have great lives and to enter flow states. And then the fourth thing is focusing very minutely on exactly what you're doing at this particular moment. 
just the tiniest little detail of this moment. I'm looking into your eyes, just seeing the glint of your glasses, telling you about this cool thing. And as I do this, I begin to feel my body entering flow state, where the sensation is coherent, beginning to feel that familiar pleasure. Uh, I've spent a lot of my life in flow states. And so I've been practicing this for uh, about, I don't know, several weeks, maybe a month or two. And uh, now, doing the breath, resolving my spirit, global understanding, focus in the present moment, it's, it's, it really works well. And after you practice it a long time, you make that transition faster than I just said it. Yeah. Transition yeah. into flow state. Yeah. Well, I love the terminology, and I think it's so important, the terminology. You know, breathe is what it is, uh, but resolve spirit. Yeah. Wow. That feels like a, a new thing that I want to do. I want to resolve my spirit uh, into, what, into this thing that I'm doing. And then what's the next one, universal? You, what you do then is you have a global sense of the, whatever you're doing already accomplished. Okay. It's oh, a global oh, okay. Sense of having already accomplished. So yeah. this, is how, this is the sort of uh, reverberating karmic effect of what you're doing on the world, maybe. Yeah, and, and a, a global sense of whatever it is. In this case, it's, it's describing this technique. I have a sense of beginning it, having described it, describing it in the way exactly the way I want to describe it, ha having it be done in exactly the way you want it to be done. And the fourth thing is, is focusing on the present moment. Yeah, yeah. Now, I was working with a couple last week, and the guy is somewhat, uh, he has some issues about being unresolved. And, and so I was teaching him this technique, and it was fascinating. As I taught him this technique, he, his wife and he were on a Zoom thing. They were able to see each other. First of all, his posture changed. Second of all, as he did it, as he surrendered to it, his face changed. Um, in the book of, a book of five rings, Miyamoto, Miyamoto Musashi describes in detail the warrior's gaze. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Um, it's, there's a resolved spirit. There's a focus. Your eyebrows are slightly furrowed. Your mouth is closed. Your jaw is set but not tight. You can see it in my face as I do it. I've been practicing it for 40 years. So as I told him this, his face took on those characteristics. And I turned to her and I said, look at him. I said, "That's he just activated his warrior aspect. Now he's wow. embodying it. And that's pretty attractive, isn't it? And she said, yes. Ah, uh, Yeah. Isn't yeah, that man. cool? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I like all of this because I get tired of thinking my way through everything. <laughs> oh, you I want to just fun. set my jaw a new way and furrow my eyebrows and, and have that mean something. And I actually believe it does now. Oh, yeah. You know, and then how I breathe. And, um, yeah, I feel like it's, uh, you know, a new – I've practiced a lot of these things. I've kissed a lot of frogs, you know. <laughs> I've always been sort of a freelance practitioner. I'm not like you. You're so faithful. Uh, I am faithful. Yeah, I am you are. God bless you. Uh, this, this feels like a, a new a groove for me, and I and I hope for other people too. Uh, the other thing, and I, I don't necessarily want to leave breathing because I I know there's more to say, but just to put the other piece on the table at, that you have shared with me is this new mode of working out that you have adopted called the four-minute workout. And oh, I, yeah. <laughs> and I have two, and I love it. Zach Bush. Four <laughs> minutes I could do. Yeah, yeah. So, well, tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll have it all on the table. Uh, well, there's this doctor named Zach Bush. He's, he's a brilliant doctor. He, he thought, how can I help people uh, – have an exercise regimen that will work for them that they'll do that doesn't hurt and it's fun and that doesn't waste time. So he came up with a way of doing these simple ex these four simple exercises. So you do these four simple exercises. You do repetitions of, of 10 to 20 of them. You do three sets of them and it activates your, your, your major muscle groups for two hours. Right. right? And while they're activated, 
one, they're getting stronger, and two, they're metabolizing uh, uh, glucose and and um, ketones much more efficiently. You know, we that's where we get our energy from glucose and ketones. And so our body now is is in a post-exercise mode, regenerative mode, and then four hours you know late, later you do them again. You do these right. three times uh, a day. Um, and, and the exercises are? Okay, the exercises are, I guess I'm going to have to show everybody. Yeah, <laughs> okay. totally. Here we go. We need to do a demonstration here. Yay. You know, I, I'm sure Zach Bush doesn't mind. No. Okay. Okay, so the first one is you do a squat like this. You stick your, your butt back like you're going to sit down, and you go like this ten times. Yeah. Okay, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then you do this. One, two, three, four, five. And these are basically arm lifts in front arm of Arm lifts. Yeah, yep. keep them below your shoulder. Yep. From, move your arms from waist up to shoulder. If you're listening waist to a podcast, I'm trying to yeah. explain it. That's right. And then you go like this, like a jumpy jack touch. Touch. Yep. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then you do this. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You start again. One. Okay. So that okay. fourth one is basically as if you were doing a Popeye kind of dumbbells over your head kind of thing. <laughs> so we have the squats. We have the arm lifts. We have the top half of the jumping jack. And then we have the pumping, uh, pumping dumbbells. You start with 10 and then you work your way up to 20. Do them three times a day. Yeah. And yeah. you're exercised. Yeah. Um, it's really good for you. It's, and, we can all, and it's it's I, it's fun, you know, like you've been sitting around for a long time. You sit down and do that, and you go, God, I feel yeah. pretty good. Well, that's the thing for me. I've been doing it now for about 10 days. And I, I haven't been completely faithful, but I've been pretty faithful for me. That's pretty faithful. Yeah, I'm pretty faithful. Uh, and But and the key to it is... It's four minutes. I got four minutes. You know, normally I'd stand there and, you know, read something in the New York Times and eat a cookie. You know, I might as well do four minutes this way. And I do it. It's easy enough. You don't need any equipment. And um, and I've made it a point of doing it first thing in the morning, even before my coffee. Oh, good. Which And it, somehow it just uh, changes my attitude for the day. And, and, and actually... Even as I'm talking about this in real time, I realize it's not just my attitude. I'm actually getting something else going on in my body. I'm awake in a different way. Yeah. And he talks about the power of, you know, you talked about burning glucose and ketones and yeah. so forth. His, he's all about nitrous oxide, too. Oh, yeah. What's the deal with that? Because I found nitrous that interesting. Uh, yeah, nitrous oxide. And actually, James Nestor with the breathing talks about nitrous oxide too as being something we really want. It's and it's in our sinus cavities or it's in our muscles. And what what's up? It tells your muscles to do the things that they do when they regenerate and and heal. Basically, increase human growth hormone. Um, you know, bring nutrients to those areas and begin to strengthen muscle groups. Um, and so, uh, yeah. You know, there's yeah. Well, just vascular dilation itself, just getting more uh, blood to the tissues, and um, you know, that is an end in itself. I, I guess, right? Well, in general, what is resilience? You know, resilience on almost every level is going to one side and then to the other, and to have your body be able to decide where it wants to be, what's most healthy for it in the present moment. That's true for stress reactions. It's true for muscular activity. Um, it's true for emotional um, uh, uh, resilience. Um, it's true for range of emotional expression. Um, it's true for uh, 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 relational issues. You know, how, how, how far in a direction can we go and, and still have our wits about us, so to speak? Okay. Yeah. Um, or still have our body functioning in a good way. As you get healthier and healthier, your your range increases, and your and your capacity to self self regulate into optimal range becomes more and more automatic. Um, and this is why in psychotherapy, 
forever. Back in the back in the seventies, and uh, one of the things that I loved about the humanists, I used to go to the humanist American humanistic psychology uh, conferences, which which were so much more fun than the American behavioral conferences. Oh okay. God. You know, suits, ties, uptight people, da, 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 you know, response to this, response to that, condition response, GGGs. All right, you go to the American Humanist. The first workshop was how to pick up each other and have casual sex. Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> and then, you know, there was nude sex therapy, and then there oh was you know, breathing, and then there was alternative relational stuff, and, and a lot of body stuff, posture stuff, walking stuff, Alexander technique. Your posture, your facial expression, your voice tone, your gestures, all these things affect not just your mood, it affects your, your story about yourself, it affects your, your thought processes, and it affects your shadow self, your adaptive unconscious. Um, and we go through the life in states of consciousness, and we develop habitual states, and, and many of us develop distressed habitual states of consciousness, anxiety, depression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shame and so on and people go well I don't want to feel that and I'll say well you need to cultivate new states of consciousness and a state of consciousness is not just a thought but it is thought so the cognitive therapists are right it also is your body but it's not just your body so all the somatic people and the posture people and the, and the Alexander people they're right but you know partial it's it's how you it's not it's it's not just your story but the story about yourself and the people in the present moment really affects your state so all the narrative therapists they're right but it's partial it's not just your emotions though it involves your emotions all of those things enter into our current state of consciousness and what we want to have is habitual states of consciousness about being dialed in that's why my integral mindfulness subtext was from clueless to dialed in Dialed in is activating all those uh, channels to create optimal states. Yeah. Now, how do we use breath in that, which is intimately connected to all of it? Well, um, there's a thing called vagal tone. The vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve that goes from the brain down to the heart and then back up the ventral vagus and back up from the heart via the, 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 the brain stem to the pharynx, the larynx, the face, okay? It's a complete circuit. And so when, when we um, feel secure, the vagal, the vagus nerve sends, uh, I am secure to the heart. The heart goes, that's pretty good, sends a mellow message back up, and that affects how we breathe, how we, how we talk, and what our facial expression is. Um, if our nervous system d detects threat, it says, oh, something bad's happening. It goes to our heart. Our heart says, yeah, I guess something bad's happening. It sends up. We have a corresponding um, uh, facial expression and movement and impulse and state. Um, when we breathe in, our heart rate goes up. And when we breathe out, our heart rate goes down. Good vagal tone, good heart rate variability is that our, our heart rate goes up when we breathe in and out when we, when we breathe out smoothly, clearly, and in keeping with whatever's happening in the present moment. That's called high heart rate variability. Heart rate variability is the one physiological measure more than any other measure that reflects general physical health. Okay? And it's mediated through the vagus nerve. And, and so... If we're in a state of constant arousal, constant anxiety, we're always telling our heart that we're in trouble. So our heart activates fight flight, and we get adrenaline rushes, and cortisol happens, and it degrades our system. It's like trying to drive your car with the brakes on. But if we can have high heart rate variability, our heart says, I'm safe now, and you go back into social engagement. Now, you can affect that circuit at all those levels that I described with state. Okay, you know, you can affect it by changing your story, by focusing on a particular affect, um, by having compassionate understanding, by posture, by facial expression. But you can do it with breath. And the easiest way to do it with breath is to take a deep breath in, deep and slow, 
and a slow 10 to 14 second exhale through your mouth. So let's all do it. Deep in, through the nose, slow out through the mouth. Deep in through the nose. Slow out through the mouth. Total exhale. Now, how do you feel as you do that? Uh, definitely calm down. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it, I mean, I just feel like I, that, first of all, that was beautiful what you just said about how, I mean, and I think you have such a right to say it because you're sort of an exemplar of this, Keith. I mean, you really have been doing this work for so long and from so many different angles and so faithfully as a practitioner that um, I really am getting a transmission from you uh, and I appreciate it. Uh, and it's also put a couple things together for me that uh, I didn't have together until just this minute. And that is that, you know, I, I talked earlier about how I, I would I have a quibble about the box breath and using it to relieve anxiety and panic and so forth. And the reason for that is that I had my siege with anxiety, a terrible four-year siege of anxiety between like 2000, 1998 to 2002, but it was four that's years. A, that's a long time. It's a long it's a time. It's a long time to have intense anxiety. And, and I did. And, and, um, and I found that meditation and, and breathing, while it would have a certain, particularly breathing, it would have a certain calming effect that it wasn't until I found a therapist who said, fuck anxiety, forget about it. Just let it rip. Just, you know, here's the sirens here. They're coming for you. You know, she would actually try to exacerbate my anxiety. And in a way where I just stopped having it be so fearsome, you there you know, go. in terms of these mental loops I was in. But now I'm seeing that it's really both. There's, there's two things going on here. And it's um, so I've seen just to continue the story a little bit. I've seen some critiques as I've been reading about the box breath and anxiety, you know, breathing for anxiety uh, on Reddit sites. And there are people who are having this very argument saying, yes, it'll help, but it's not going to solve your anxiety because it's just another way of saying anxiety, go away. You're wrong and bad. And I don't want to feel you. Right. And you can't, and the ultimate cure is to just let the fucking wave tsunami rip your head off and, and, and get on with the show. Uh, and I, I realized, and I was trying to think, is it this or that? And that's not like me. I don't normally a this or that thinker. But I get that it's both, that the, there is a profound calming that comes over the body with the breathing. Yeah. And that maybe we could use that as a way of allowing the anxiety to come in and do its thing without resistance and yes. something like that. Well, you know, you and I did a, a show on, um, on pa emotional pain and the whole American thing of zero tolerance for pain. So let's right. just keep medicating away. Well, um, if I have a habit of anxiety, I need a new habit. And the first, thing is to accept the fact that I have a habit of anxiety. Okay, well, what's the new habit I want? Well, one, I want to be, if I'm fully in the present moment, I'm not anxious. It, you know, how many times have people discovered that and then run yelling out of their house, I've got the secret of everything, it's be fully in the present moment. Well, how come we're not doing it all the time? Well, it's just not that easy to do when we have habits of going into anxiety and depression. So that four-step process that I suggested, okay, that takes us into the present moment. By the time you get down to focusing on what I'm doing right now, your anxiety has reduced. Now, if you have – now, remember, there's the story. There's, there's breath. There's posture and facial expression. I love that. I love there's the facial emotion. expression part. That, that I feel like that's undervalued uh, by they, me. When, they did a study where they had people put a pencil in their mouth. Okay, how to smile? 
and they measured their brains. They lightened up when they did that. Just really? our face is the most expressive face in all of the animal kingdom. When we when we smile, it affects our brain. It lightens us up, which sends messages via the vagus to our heart saying things are not as bad as you think and the heart goes okay and sends it back up that relaxes us and so that you know whistle a happy tune thing yeah that works really well but it's not enough you also need to have a framework about what am i doing you know i'm learning how to be in the present moment i'm learning how to understand that my life is an epic journey and i am the hero in that epic journey mm. That's not just me. That mm. is every human alive. Mm. And wh wherever you are, that's just your station on the epic journey. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, if I'm that's, just, the, that's the meta story. That's the meta that story. That we all have. That, that, we all have. Yeah. And so when, when you're on a journey, one of the most important things to do is to remember that you're on a journey. Okay? <laughs> People who kill themselves don't know they're on a journey. They go, you know... Yeah, you know, I'm in the desert. Everything's all so fucked. I'm in Mordor. I guess everything sucks. I, I'll just kill myself. I'll just stop, okay? But if you're on a journey, you go, you know, I'm in the desert. I'm Mordor. I better keep moving because there's a better place around the oh, corner. Oh, man. Okay? And that better place around the corner is, gui is what guides us on our epic journeys. And where does it guide us? It guides us to internal transformations, external improvements in our relationship with the world, and then it enhances our ability to love ourselves and other people. And as we do that, we bring more back into the, into the community. And doing that enlivens us and connects us. And that's just the arc of the epic journey that everybody is on. And one thing about remembering the breath, remembering what I'm doing, and focusing on what I'm doing in the present moment with the resolved spirit and all that stuff, oh, it reminds me that I'm on the journey and I need to take the next step. And as you practice that, there's a famous, if you talk to anybody in, in interpersonal biology, you mentioned Donald Hebb. 1950, Donald Hebb was a neuropsychologist. He said, neurons that wire together, fire, fire together, wire together. Okay? And everybody talks about that all the time. Anytime you instantiate a state, you reinforce it. So if you practice generating gratitude and smile and being focused on the present moment oh. and doing buteco breathing, and you enter that state, every time you practice that, those neural networks are strengthened a little bit. Little uh, oligodendrocytes in your brain start, start myelinating those circuits and they get stronger. And, if, and when they get strong enough, that's where you naturally go instead of anxiety or depression. That's what happened with you. You know, you're not anxious all the time now. Why? You created alternative states that now are so persuasive that you naturally go there instead of high anxiety. I mean, I just talked to this uh, guy, Mark Pertle, yesterday, who actually... Oh, yeah, you know I know him. Mark. I know him really well. He, yeah. did, he, did, uh, he did a movie a while back, uh, and he was, at, uh, he was at the living room with us. Yes, exactly. He yeah, reminded me of that. But he is about... He just executive produced a new movie called... Is your story making you sick? Which is oh gonna yeah, I've seen that story. Oh, have you? Yeah, I've it's going to be on PBS. Oh, you know, how about that? And and um, and the remarkable ex uh, experiences that people are having in these alternative medicine worlds, or even the regular medicine world, mm -hmm. of people retelling their stories. To me. You know, people go, oh, well, you're just telling yourself a new thing about, you You know, it's just like trying to convince yourself of something. That's not it at all. Right. It, it, it is literally going to, where am I at this moment in my epic journey? See, that's the thing, Keith. Let me pause you there because I want to put that together for myself because that is the story we're all in and, and that's the meta story. But how I interpret that and should I be here and what have I done wrong and you know, how do I get out of here? It um, sort of freezes you in place. It does. It gets, yeah. you, it gets you stuck in a level. And you can't go beneath that level to the deeper waters where, the, where, where your soul is, uh -huh. where, you know, the, your purpose on earth is. And so you got to go beneath it. Paradoxically, you go beneath it by accepting it first. Okay. Yeah, I'm anxious. Okay. Yes. Okay, I'm depressed. All right. Um, 
so the deeper waters are all right so what where am i and and what is my soul calling me to do and this is why integral is so great body mind spirit in self culture and nature is one way of of organizing yourself so you don't miss something important yeah the way that the cognitive people missed behavioral stuff behavioral things missed the cognitive stuff and the psychoanalytic people missed the psychosynthesis stuff and the Jungian people missed um, uh, uh, the narcissism stuff. I mean, everybody has a blind spot in their system. Um, so you don't, being aware of the blind spots helps you regulate so that you can benefit from them and then draw from somebody else who's strong in narcissism or who's strong in spirituality or who's strong in behavioral change or who's strong in affect regulation. Pull those things together. Um, yeah. That's one thing about psychotherapy for me, and I've been thinking a lot about this because uh, uh, um, uh, I've, been, I've been thinking a lot about psychotherapy, what, what it is. And when I do psychotherapy, I kind of join with somebody and we go wherever they need to go. Um, and it could be anywhere of a million places. Um, that's my style of work. Um, there's guiding principles. Um, back in the, back in the seventies and eighties, I had a different attitude. I thought, you know, there must be something extreme enough that I can break somebody free of their crap, you know, through the power of the session and that'll get them on the next step of their path. I can do that. Okay. And this is what a lot of people want to do with psychedelic work, um, and holotrophic breathing, which you and I have talked about. Um, I found a, a powerful technique called symbol linking therapy in 1978. There was a martial artist, Taoist priest named John Davidson did. He did a session with me and I was impressed enough that I became his apprentice and studied with him for two or three years. Um, and we've talked about that before. There was <laughs> a lot of interesting things happened, but the, it was basically doing holotrophic breath work, which is very dramatic. Um, you do you do control your emotions with with habitual tension in your body. Um, the Reikian people learned that many years ago. If you can, if you if you disturb your body enough, either through holotropic breathing or fight fatigue and so on, your body will enter a vibratory state where you're not controlling your emotions as much. More primal emotions will come out, often associated with trauma, with trauma memories. In SLTs, symbol linking therapy, what we do is we'd evoke this and then go into the trauma with the person very viscerally. I mean, we were right there. They were on a pad. You were like holding them as we were going back into the assault or the molestal. It's you and me going. Right on. Um, it was intense. It was too dangerous, really, a technique. I decided to stop doing it. It's just there's too much liability involved. I mean, I didn't mind. I mean, one time I lost my concentration with this big guy I was working with, and I was flying through the air towards the wall. Yeah. As I was flying through the air, I was thinking, this is what happens when you lose concentration during yeah. a session. Isn't that something? Some guy picks you up and throws you against the wall. You know. <laughs> anyway, um, so holotropic breathing is very traumatic, and yet, um, and I did research on, on simulating therapy compliant, com compared with other treatments, and I found the practitioners who loved what they did had equal health-enhancing effects on their clients. And so what I finally concluded from that is that people are ready for a transformative experience when they're ready for a transformative experience mm -hmm. and they'll seek it out. And sometimes they'll seek out holotropic breathing. Sometimes they seek out mushrooms or psychedelics. I had a couple of clients do that recently. Mm -hmm. um, it was um, sometimes they'll seek something else out, but I can't force people to do that. I can, I can join in their world and facilitate the process. When yeah. I, can open up, I can help them open up thresholds and encourage them to step through. But I do that best by embodying my own natural healing style. And Integral was really wonderful for me around that because body, mind, spirit, and self-culture and nature gave me the sense of I'm not missing things. I used to feel yeah. I was missing things, okay? Yeah. And the core to that always, the beginning and the end of it, always is the breath and we've kind of taken it for granted in psychotherapy and in spiritual practice you know like you take for granted you walk through the atmosphere well you know like fish in the water everybody say well i'm not taking it for granted now and and especially if it's better for me to breathe a little bit shallower to begin to 
that, that also teaches you if you can get to that slight level of too much CO2, there's a little bit of anxiety there. It actually teaches you to tolerate anxiety, to see that little bit of anxiety is a good thing because it means I'm right at that point that's optimal for my, my organism. Mm-hmm. Once you begin to do that, you become less phobic about anxiety. Just like people come to me and they're super depressed and I'll go, so what's going on in your life? Well, you know, they just, you know, my dog just died and, you know, I, I broke my arm and I go, you know what? Depression is what you're supposed to feel when a whole bunch of shit comes down on, you know, a shit storm. One of the normal reactions is I am bummed out by this. You know, that's just your body saying, I don't like this part of the journey. I need yeah. to get, I want to get through it to the next one. So yeah, I'm going to feel bad about it. But, you know, even in a shit storm, you can get an umbrella out and, you know, you know, find an ice cream truck and have an ice cream cone. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's having a different attitude towards how we navigate existence by ourselves and with other people. Because, yeah. you know, the other thing about this is all throughout this talk, you and I have been coordinating our breath with each other unconsciously. When you talk, I am not just coordinating my breath. I'm subvocalizing what you're saying. And you're doing the same to mm. me. That's how – that's the lower left. That's the magic of the lower left. Mm-hmm. Now, the cool thing about that, if I walk through the world with, um, with, with my breath and my mood and my expression dialed in, I'm spreading that to other people that I encounter. I'm, vi- I'm value-added yeah. if I don't say a word. Yeah. No, it's something. You, you know when you uh, are in the presence of people who are doing that. You yeah. know, presence may be it. You, you feel actual presence from that person. Isn't that a wonderful thing? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, one of the things I'm getting from this conversation is that thing about the journey and the movement and that I'm not here to fix this moment and I'm not trying to get somewhere and that I'm being lived. I don't know. Really, I feel like I got a deeper transmission of that here. Well, you know, one thing that I've observed about you since I first met you is that is that you, when I, when you and I were both seeking when we first met. I mean, I hadn't written my first book yet on integral really? psychotherapy. Yeah, I mean, I'd written books, but I hadn't written my first I, – I had a monograph on integral sex therapy. I went home after that first conference where we met and wrote Waking Up, which is the, a textbook, maybe the first textbook on integral psychotherapy that was right ever written. Yeah. Um, so as you've done – so you did a Daily Evolver. You did the incubator. You know, you were doing more and more. And as that's happened, what I've observed with you is you've gotten more relaxed, more at peace, and more confident that, that what, what is important to me mm. to transmit is coming through me. Yeah. It's just, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to stop doing this for a few weeks and I'm going to start again. Yeah. It's, it's as you've trusted that voice, more and more you're allowing yourself to be lived by that voice. Yeah. And by that, 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 that place, there's a sense of, of I'm in the process and I trust the process because I'm listening to that. Yeah. And so there's less resistance to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as, uh, as you've done that, you've gotten happier and happier, Jeff. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, it's often said that you get happier as you get older. I think that's, if you're lucky, that's true. It's certainly been true of me. So yeah, Keith, um, any other points we wanted to make here, put out there? No, I, this, this is, uh, I encourage people to read the book. It was yep. fun and inspiring. Besides that, it was all the practitioners and most people who watch this are practitioners Remember all the, the training that you've done and, and all the, the ashrams that you've been to and the yogas that you've done and the martial arts that you've done. And, you know, if you're, if you're a karate person, how did you feel when you were on the floor sparring with your opponent? What was your breath like? And you'll go, whoa. All of a sudden, you'll notice that how you were managing your breath was central to all that stuff. That it began and ended with the breath. I can actually tell whether someone is an advanced practitioner or not by seeing how they breathe when they're sparring with another person. Hmm. People who are sparring with another person and are in their first two years of practice will breathe up through their chest. The more experienced people will be breathing in their belly. Okay? They'll be relaxing 
as they as they do it. And why? Because that's what you learn yeah. as you go further further along. And so pay attention to the breath. And you know these things that we've been describing. Try them out, and if they work for you, um, try them out. Yeah, yeah. It's actually one of the things that I learned doing in my very limited stint with yoga was uh, that there's really two things going on, probably more, but for me, it was a revelation that there's two things going on. There's this excruciating posture that I'm doing. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> that I hate. And then there's also breath, which I could actually differentiate. They don't have to be the same thing. And I can actually be having a deep breath and this excruciating experience. And that's interesting. You know, and that's sort of, you know, what we're talking about here writ large into our lives. Therapists have always watched people's breath and commented. I can't tell you, if I had a nickel for every time I tell somebody, you stop breathing just now. Hmm. You know, I mean, why? It's, it's the ancient Gestalt technique. Point out the obvious, make the implicit explicit. People who get distressed will go into distressed breathing. And so when they get out of distress, their breathing will shift. But also, if you shift your breathing, you'll get out of distress because of that circuit we were talking about. They had all those components. Yeah. So just go through the world observing your breath and other people's breath. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's all pretty cool. It's all pretty cool. Yeah, man. So, yeah, I feel like I'm a slightly different Jeff than I was when we started. That's always good. You know, at our age, Keith, continuing to grow, my good Lord. Uh, I feel in some ways that we're growing faster. I do too. Because we're more excited by being influenced. Yeah. Our consciousness likes... It likes being influenced. It wants to grow. It wants, it wants to grow. To we want to yeah. grow. The whole thing wants to grow. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love you, Jeff. Love you too, Keith. Thanks much so much. Much love to everybody out much there. Much love to everybody out there. And we'll see you next time on another episode of The Shrink and the Pundit. <laughs>